0: We're joined today by Andy Mahler, uh, former host of Interchange on WFHB, and he's a founder and organizer of Protect Our Woods, which has been around since 1985. We're we're talking about uh, the Buffalo Springs Restoration Project to log and burn uh, the Hoosier National Forest. And there was just a uh, meeting yesterday in Paoli Uh, Is it still the the scenario that that's the final public meeting uh, for public input.
1: That's a good question, because uh, what's interesting is that they. uh, The reason the meeting was organized was specifically to provide additional opportunity for public comment on the Buffalo Springs proposal, but about a day or so before the meeting was actually scheduled to occur we learned that the Forest Service had reneged on that notion of uh, accepting additional public comments. So it was a listening session, but they are not accepting any additional public comment on the Buffalo Springs proposal. However, one of the things I submitted to them at the meeting was a documented incidence of a threatened, uh, um, excuse me, an endangered species, extremely rare in Indiana, something called the Eastern Wandering Spider has been, uh, positively identified as inhabiting the Buffalo Springs area. So if there's anything that should require them to include additional information in the public record, it would be the discovery of an endangered species living in the project area. So hopefully that will at least that piece of information will get in the project area and require at least a, a certain amount of additional study and analysis. But the reality is, and I, your listeners should know this, is that the recent ruling by Judge Tanya Walton Pratt on the Houston South project which of course was a major threat to Lake Monroe and to the water quality of the people of Monroe and Brown County her ruling forcing the forest service or it, it was a preliminary injunction that she that she issued in response to their failure to do adequate water quality analysis for Lake Monroe applies at least as much to Buffalo Springs because It's a larger project, and it's much more uh, immediate in its impacts of the Patoka Lake watershed because of much of the logging and burning occurring right in the immediate watershed on steep slopes that feed directly into the the lake. So there are recent developments on the Houston South project that have a direct bearing on the Buffalo Springs project, and I believe it's my perception is that the Forest Service is going to have a hard time proceeding with either of those projects without further uh,
0: uh, annoying the judge. And that is a federal judge and- Yes, so federal far, district court for Southern Indiana. And so far that's applying to that Houston South, but it it, it doesn't apply to the rest of the plan for, for Hoosier National Forest? No, no
1: unfortunately it doesn't. And, uh, and there's two things to note with respect to the Hoosier National Forest and the plan is one is that they are doing wholesale burning all across the Hoosier National Forest. And I'm not sure when they are authorized that burning but it's happening in virtually every county. Uh, and I'll get back to that if you'd like to talk about why they're doing all this burning but that's a very grave concern to a lot of the people who live immediately adjacent to those areas that are being burned, obviously air quality issues, kids with asthma, Uh, health safety, but also the largest fire in the history of the state of New Mexico was caused by a so-called controlled burn that got out of control and burned over 50 square miles, consumed something like 400 homes, killed thousands of domestic and wild animals and polluted water supplies in the water starved West. So these so-called controlled burns are a grave concern here in Indiana. Obviously, we have a much wetter forest, but like I say, we can get back to that in a moment. But the more pressing issue now is that uh, one of the things that happened yesterday is we I believe there was a pivot where we've been working hard to protect our area, the Buffalo Springs area. But yesterday, the pivot shifted from the Buffalo Springs area to the entire Hoosier National Forest, because while they refuse to reopen or accept additional comment on the Buffalo Springs proposal, they have now formally initiated a new planning process for the Hoosier National Forest. That was something that was sort of suggested in the meeting we had with uh, Senator Braun and Undersecretary Wilkes back in July. But yesterday, they made it clear that this meeting yesterday was not so much about Buffalo Springs as it was the first listening session in the planning process for a new plan for the Hoosier National Forest. So what we have to do is try to get the Forest Service to suspend all these other activities, which were based on an old and illegal plan from 2006 and suspend all this forest disturbing planet warming activity until we have a new plan that at least acknowledges the reality of climate change. The plan that they are using from 2006, not only does it barely mention or acknowledge climate change, it was issued before Scientists even became aware of something called white-nose syndrome, which has caused dramatic and precipitous declines in bat populations throughout their range, but in particular here in southern Indiana, where uh, bat populations of some of these species have declined by 95% since 2006 because of white-nose syndrome. It was, of course, issued before the emerald ash borer became a problem and almost eliminated ash trees from the national forest. There's so many things have changed since 2006, and yet they insist on developing these plans and implementing these plans based on a grotesquely backward-looking, short-sighted, and ultimately self-serving plan.
0: And we've also had some drought since then as well. Well, we have. Well, what they're proposing to
1: do is they are literally,
0: this is what they said in their uh In their
1: documents is that they are proposing to convert the Hoosier National Forest from a fire-resistant forest to a fire-adapted forest, and of course, to those of us who live next to the forest, that is a grave concern.
0: And so, does it look like you're going to uh, have to go these injunction routes, or does this new process envelop Buffalo Springs?
1: Well, that's a good question, and the the short answer is. we don't know. I believe that the tide has turned. I believe the Forest Service doesn't know it yet, and they are going to continue to try and push forward over public objection, over court injunction, over the global scientific consensus on global warming, and over what is actually in the best interest of the forest itself to pursue their own selfish uh, organizational and administrative budgetary priorities. And that is the essence of what we are talking about here. These are not bad people doing bad things for bad reasons. They're people who consider themselves good people. They think they're doing good things and they think they have good reasons, but in fact, they're good people who are doing bad things for bad reasons. And uh, we would like for the public to have an opportunity to be heard because if, you are hiring somebody to manage your forest, the first thing they're supposed to do is ask you how you want your forest managed. But the Forest Service doesn't do that. They think they know better than the international global scientific consensus. They think they know better than the courts. They think they know better than the people who pay their salary. And most arrogant of all, they think they know better than the forest itself, what should be growing on any particular acre within the public ownership.
0: And it does call into question whether it's actually going on in good faith if there isn't really transparency or uh, enough attempts to involve the public. In, in
1: That's absolutely right. And here's something else your listeners should know. And that is that the Forest Service, this is right on page two of the 2006 Forest Plan. They make it very clear that when they use the term the forest, as in something is in the best interest of the forest, that term, the forest, applies equally to the land they manage and to the agency itself. Now, back in the early days of the Forest Service, those two things were much in alignment. What the Forest Service was doing was they were planting trees, they were putting out fires and they were preventing timber theft. Nowadays, what the Forest Service is doing is clear cutting the trees they planted, setting the forest on fire, and cutting down the public's trees and keeping the money. So when they say something is in the best interest of the forest, you have to assume that they are talking about the forest service, and everything that they're proposing is to the financial benefit of the forest service. When they cut down the trees on the public land, they keep the money. It doesn't go back to the taxpayers. It doesn't go back to the treasury. It goes into the forest service administrative budget. They have become dependent on the revenues they get from cutting down the trees, which is why I do not anticipate any change from the Forest Service because sadly, there's a system of incentives that has been put in place by the Congress over the years, members of Congress who had major contributions from the timber industry that gave the Forest Service an incentive to release as much timber from the public land as possible by allowing them to keep the money from the sale and then the timber industry would get the timber. Now that applied mostly to the forests out west in the legislative intent But that application of that legislative intent applies to every forest in the country, including the Hoosier. The financial incentive on fire is even more perverse in response to those huge, catastrophic, devastating fires out West that consumed entire towns, took lives, killed lots and lots of wildlife and domestic animals that uh, disrupted uh, homes, disrupted communities and, and destroyed dreams. Those fires, we all saw them Playing out in real time in response to catastrophic drought, molten, thousands of years worth of you know, the worst droughts in thousands of years, then uh, epic wind events, 60 mile an hour winds on top of a you know a multi-year drought causing fires that cannot be put out. Everybody needs to recognize that, and certainly everybody who was paying attention knew that there was no way to put out the fires. Now the Forest Service was able to use those fires to get Congress to write them virtually a blank check for fire suppression. It's an inside joke in the Forest Service. You get one of those catastrophic fires that cannot be put out. What you do is you throw money at it until it rains. Well, Congress gave them a lot of money to throw at those fires, but they did not dictate how and where that money should be spent. So while that money was appropriated by Congress to deal with the catastrophic fires out West, The majority of the dollars Congress appropriated for fire are actually being used to set fires in the American South and East two areas that do not have the historic fire regimes that the forests of the West do. But they are using the money that Congress appropriated to put out fires to burn every national forest in the country. So every national forest in the country has a fire target that they have to meet in order to spend those dollars, because if there's one thing a federal bureaucracy does not like to do, it's to leave money on the table. So those fires I mentioned in New Mexico, a subsequent investigation determined that the reason those fires got out of control is that they burned in unsafe conditions in order to meet timber targets so that that money could be spent before the end of the fiscal year. They were driven, those fires were driven by the incentive to burn. The Forest Service has, Congress has given the Forest Service money to burn, money to burn. And tragically, we are spending millions of taxpayer dollars in a time of a global planetary crisis, climate crisis, to set our forests on fire, releasing huge quantities of carbon dioxide, destroying and damaging ecosystems and wasting vast quantities of money just because uh, of this perverse set of incentives.
0: Yeah, years ago, I, I lived out in Oregon and I had a roommate who was a firefighter. And though it was dry, there'd been this long spell where they didn't have any work fighting fires. And they started kind of complaining about it and talking about it a lot. The next thing you know, there's a fire. <laughs> so I mean, there's some layers in there on some possible incentives to uh, get some action going. Um, they're, well, they're there. Well, there are and
1: actually there's something close to home. Oh, let me just mention because uh, it used to be that the uh, forest with the highest incidence of wildfire in the entire country was the Daniel Boone National Forest, and it was exactly what you're t- talking about because. Uh, Those were all intentionally set fires, and what happened was when there was a fire, there was a very poor part of the state, and it was an employment program for the local people because every time there was a fire, they would employ local people to put out the fire. So they ended up having to adopt a policy that they would not employ anybody from the county in which the fire was burning to put out those fires to try and limit the number of people who set fires in order to get a job putting those fires out.
0: Yeah, because they're they're not getting paid or they're not getting their full pay unless they're in, on some active duty, I guess. Exactly. Um, some of the uh, those fires out there were blamed on not enough clearance of the underbrush, understories, and such. Um, would you say that there are those issues here in Indiana? Um, that there are some concerns, or or is there a lot a lot of difference?
1: Uh, now there's even spec there's even a, a, a vigorous scientific debate out west about that issue but the 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 uh, that issue is that is not an issue in our area it is a created issue it's prob it's a solution in search of a problem we have very wet forests here the only reason we have a the only reason we've had fire problems here in this part of the country is because because of rampant logging in the past that left major quantities of, of, of brush and other ignitables and then human caused fire, either deliberate or accidental. There was no uh, tradition of native burning, except in very small instances, to maintain clearings to provide forage for wildlife stuff. And- so on, and even there, the the historical record is spotty, but there may have been some native use of fire, but it was nothing like what the Forest Service is proposing to do, burning thousands and thousands of acres, because one thing that native people did not do was remove thousands and thousands of big old trees, because those big old trees, when they died, they landed on the forest floor where they absorbed huge quantities of water. So the, the best defense we have against fire is the big old trees that die and wind up turning into soil because when they're standing, they might be 60 or 70% water. When they're on the forest floor, they're 80, 90, 95% water. And of course they provide much more habitat and the nutrient cycling when they're left to rot on the forest floor. And that's why we have such great potential forest here is because we have these deep soils and these deep soils are the result of forest growing, eventually dying, decaying, and landing on the forest floor where they compost and create soil and their vast networks of, you know, uh, the, the dense nutrient-rich soil filled with uh, microbiota and uh, mycelial filaments from the networks of, of the fungal networks. I mean, a, a forest is, we think of a forest as the trees but the reality is the forest is the soil, and that's where life begins. That's where the mystery of life begins, is you convert uh, inanimate rock into living plant and animal material, and that happens in the soil. And everything the Forest Service is proposing to do will be seriously damaging to the forest soils and those mycelial communication networks that tie the entire forest together as a single complex, intricate living organism. They want to take a complex and intricate living organism and convert it into the few products that are most utilitarian to humans and that have a financial return.
0: And that really puts a different uh, twist on the old phrase, uh, you can't see the forest for the trees, all you can see are the trees and you're not seeing all the- That's exactly right. The microbiome, the mycelial nets, and uh, that's got its parallel in our own in our own health too, with our own microbiome now becoming understood as fundamental to the health of the rest of the system.
1: Well, you make an excellent point there, because when you think about the indigenous people who lived here for thousands of years, they were not separate from the forest. The Forest Service considers them separate from the forest. They are the managers of the forest. They are not inhabitants of the forest. In fact, I would argue that most of the employees of the Forest Service never get in the forest. Their only familiarity with the forest is on the GIS maps on their computers where they're looking at these cutting units. You know, if they spend as much time in the forest as I do, they would never contemplate doing the damage that they're proposing to do to the forest. I would love to <clears throat> take you out in the forest behind our home and take you to some of these amazing magical springs. Fresh, clear, clean, drinkable water bubbling right out of the ground, out of these limestone caves, this limestone karst system underneath the, the hills and hollows of Southern Indiana. Some of the cleanest water on the earth. And why is clean? The forest. The forest is the ultimate filter of, of, the, of water And the water that comes out of these hardwood forests here in Southern Indiana is some of the finest drinking water you could ask for anywhere on earth. And everything they're proposing to do would degrade and diminish the ability of this land to continue to provide us the water, the essence of life. Hence, you know, the Forest Service did us two favors with this Buffalo Springs proposal. One is there is no such place as Buffalo Springs, at least there never was, but now there is. It was just a mashup the Forest Service came up with for this large geographic area of about 30,000 acres, which includes the Buffalo Trace and the mineral rich Springs Valley area of French Lake and West Baden. So they put those two together as Buffalo Springs. Well, it's a great name. The Buffalo is the iconic North American mammal. In fact, it's the official mammal of the United States. And what could be more essential to life than a spring? Water bubbling out of the ground. So Buffalo Springs, it's a great name, but the other gift they gave us is that the initials of Buffalo Springs are BS. And that's exactly what their proposal is.
0: And there's also another kind of pejorative connotation that could be in there to to Buffalo somebody.
1: That's true. I hadn't even thought about that. You're absolutely right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and, and that uh, Buffalo Trace is a historic heritage trail that was Founded by the Buffaloes and followed by the Native Americans. Correct?
1: That is correct. And then it was the primary travel way for the early uh, Euro-American settlers. I mean, you know, uh, one of the people gave a presentation yesterday Was somebody you've recently interviewed. And that was Stephen Stewart. And he gave a list of some of the names of the quintessential figures in American history, certainly in Indiana history, who are known to have traveled on that travel way, including, you know, William Harrison, and Tecumseh and Abraham Lincoln among others. And uh, it is really a fascinating thing. And one thing that Stephen and other historians point out is that the forest does not just record the record of the evolution of life in this area. It also, records the history of human activity in this area from the indigenous people through the early pioneers, the French trappers, the early settlers, the early uh, farmers, and then all the way up to the present day, And all of that history is written on the landscape. And that history is just as much at risk from these proposals from the Forest Service as the ecological wealth, and uh, wealth, health, and integrity of the forest itself. So we're not just losing the ecological threads of life that tie us all together. We're also losing the threads of history that tie us to our past and then ultimately, of course, to our future.
0: Well, that's one of the selling points that is also kind of intimated by bringing the buffalo into the name. It brings up the Native Americans and people understood how the Native Americans did use uh, fire as a, as a method to uh, kind of groom the landscape. And, the, you know, some of the ostensible goals are supposedly to restore hickory and oak. And they say that you need openings in the forest for the birds and such but as when I was talking with Stephen Stewart, um, uh, he talked about places where they've already done this kind of stuff, that they're not actually planting any oak or hickory and that they're expecting the squirrels to do it and that invasives are actually getting a chance to take off and go. And so that makes it look even more like it's about timber feet and dollars because why wouldn't they devote a little bit of budget or even some volunteer community groups to be going out there and planting oak and hickory? Uh, Stephen's
1: points were extremely well taken as are yours. Uh, Here's the, the sad reality. Oak and hickory are well represented in the forest. The biggest threat to the oak component of the forest is the forest service and the timber industry. Because oak is the single most commercially valuable tree species, that is the greatest threat to the health and well-being of the oak component of the forest. If you want to protect and maintain the oak component in the forest, stop cutting them down. It's as simple as that. They are all getting cut down on private land. The only place we have a hope of maintaining A significantly diverse, healthy, naturally evolving, naturally self-regulating, naturally self-maintaining forest is on the public land. And in a state with 23 million acres, we have managed to protect, well, quote unquote, protect only 200,000 in the Hoosier National Forest. It's a minuscule percentage of the land base of the state of Indiana, which used to be 90% forest, is now less than or approximately 20% forest. But those... Areas that are considered forest includes areas that have been recently clear-cut, and anything that's not under asphalt or under human development that is allowed to grow trees is considered forest, even if all the big trees have recently been removed. So when we say that 20% of the land base of the state of Indiana is forest, that is a extremely generous estimate. The acreage that's in anything resembling a healthy, natural, diverse forest is extremely small. And the 200,000 acres in the Hoosier National Forest is our best chance of giving the forest itself a chance to heal and restore and self-regulate and self-perpetuate. So uh, the oaks, the oaks uh, are, like I said, the single most commercial species in the forest. And they, uh, any place that the forest service comes in and cuts them down, what is coming back, like Steven said, is invasive species, and other non, uh, what will happen over time is that the, the landscape will produce that forest that is best adapted to those particular sites. But the Forest Service wants to do perpetual management. Everything, most of what they are doing in fact is an attempt to correct for past mismanagement. Even now they say that the clear cutting they did back in the 80s and 90s was a big mistake. But they say now, no, now we know better. But the reality is, they don't know better. A forest can live to be 400 or 600 years old. You know, a single tree in a forest, an oak tree can live to be 600 years old on an ideal site. You know, it's not uncommon for oaks to live to be 400 years old. But uh, they're never going to get a chance to live to be 400 years old because the forest service intends to cut every oak tree before it gets to be 120 years old. And that is the sad reality. They're trying to convert a healthy, natural, potentially healthy natural recovering forest in public ownership. They wanna maintain it as a tree farm. Oh, here's the other point I was trying to get to. Everything that they are doing and proposing to do is intended to mimic natural disturbance or natural catastrophe. Now think about that for a minute. We're in a time of unprecedented climate change. We're in a time of extreme weather events that nobody now living has ever seen before. We've seen tornado that stayed on the ground all the way from northwest Arkansas, northeast Arkansas, excuse me, all the way to southwest uh, Kentucky, almost 200 miles on the ground, one tornado. And the Forest Service claims that they need to mimic natural disturbance. They are proposing to mimic insect infestations, disease, fire, tornado, snowstorms, ice storms. Guess what? In the time... Of unprecedented climate change and extreme weather events, you do not need to mimic natural disturbance. Mother Nature is going to show us natural disturbance like we've never seen before. What we need is as much healthy, natural standing forest as possible in the landscape to mitigate against climate change, to sequester carbon. But more than that, you know, we're humans provides an opportunity for recreation. There's no place else in the state of Indiana where you can get that kind of recreational experience. And that is in in increasing demand, but also spiritual renewal, uh, serenity, being surrounded by natural beauty. Where else can the average Hoosier go to find those things in any large acreage? It's only the Hoosier National Forest. There's people in the state of Indiana, that's the only forest that they can claim to own. But beyond recreation, water quality, the highest quality water resources in the state of Indiana come from protected forests. Lake Monroe and even more like Patoka. Patoka Lake is cons- the highest quality municipal water supply in the state of Indiana. Why? Because of the forest. But then there's the historical and the cultural and the archaeological record that is contained in the land. Once again, the only place you can find that in any to any significant extent on the protected landscape is gonna be on these public forests. And then of course, one that we must not forget is the endangered species and all the other critters and the vast web of life that depends on a self-regulating, self-perpetuating forest ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I believe uh, the hellbender uh, salamander is one of the things kind of looked after by IFA And uh, is it, is is this, is the designation, I think it's, it's not temperate rainforest, is it, but temperate? uh, Temperate, just
1: temperate hardwood forest. Hardwood. Uh, Yeah, there, there are three major forest zones on planet Earth. There's the boreal forest, which stretches across Canada, Siberia, and so forth in the colder latitudes. There's, the tropical rainforest in the equatorial regions, everybody's familiar with that. But the third major forest zone is the temperate zone. And in our areas, the temperate hardwood forest, other places it might have a slightly different species mix, but this temperate hardwood forest is in Japan, it's in China and it's in Northern Europe as well. And it's a very similar mix of species in those places. Of those three forest types, scientists are very concerned because of global warming, The boreal forest is actually releasing most of the carbon in the forest is not in the trees it's in the roots and in the soils i mean not in the parts of the tree above ground it's in the roots and in the soil and in the boreal forest the warming of the planet is releasing not just carbon dioxide from the soils but it's releasing uh uh, other greenhouse gases that are far more significant contributors to global warming than carbon dioxide even so the boreal forest is on the verge of becoming a carbon source because of all the burning and clearing and deforestation in the tropical regions the tropical forests are also on the verge of becoming a carbon source only these temperate zone forests like what we have here in southern indiana continue to be a carbon sink where they absorb more carbon dioxide than they release into the atmosphere and we are Everything the Forest Service is proposing to do would not just burn fossil fuels in its implementation, but it would uh, uh, remove the canopy from the forest, allow the sunlight to bake the forest soils, and would convert our carbon sink forest carbon source forest. And it's, it is absurd, obscene, and insane to burn hardwood forests in a time of global climate uh, a global climate crisis so there are two major i mean there's several cl- crises facing our species and our planet but two of the ones that everybody's aware of the biodiversity crisis i just saw a statistic that just was mind-boggling the entire the bio the biomass the total weight of all living wild animals on the planet is only one-tenth of the total biomass of all the humans on the planet and that doesn't even begin to consume consider the biomass of all the domesticated animals on the planet. If you include the biomass of all the domesticated animals and all the humans on the planet, and you compare that to the biomass of all the wild animals on the planet, I believe the figure was 1% of the total biomass on the planet is the wild life. Domesticated animals and humans represent 99% of the biomass remaining on, of the you know, uh, uh, of animal species on the planet. It's a horrifying notion. Anyway, I think I'm losing my train of thought. I'm not sure where I was going with that one.
0: Oh well, um, my apologies. The the Arctic is uh, warming faster than other places. And so that's clearly gonna affect those Canadian and Northern forests more. And then there's been the huge uh, methane that's uh being released uh from the, from the ocean and apparently from big sinkholes in Siberia and stuff like that. And today yes. we're expected to have over 80 degrees today is expected. Yeah, in April. Yeah. And then there's going to be a cold turn again and you know three people died in Sullivan from their recent tornado and apparently 19 that's right. torn- tornadoes just in Indiana. Um You know how much how much clearer uh, does it need to be to accept you know the science of climate change, climate catastrophe, and it really does make us as this sort of happy medium seem really much more crucial. uh, You know from what's going on in Brazil and uh, the massive die offs, Um, Indiana has been sanctioned and regulated uh, uh, be, uh from our pollution being one of the states that are uh, the downdraft of our pollution is affecting causing acid rain in other other states and uh you know we're we're pretty low on the stats you know in, in a lot of areas you know we're 48th ninth, 50th on the good things and we're in the top five on the bad factors um This is true.
1: I do remember where I was going with my point, though, if you'll allow me. I was talking about these two major crises, the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis. And that's where I got off onto the notion of how little of the biomass on planet Earth is in wild creatures. Anyway, so we've got these two huge crises facing the planet, the climate change challenge and the biodiversity challenge. And there's one solution that applies to both of them, and that's leaving as much wild natural forest standing as possible. And, and the other great thing about that solution is it doesn't cost a penny. You know, everything we're proposing from carbon capture and sequ- you know, carbon capture and storage and all that costs billions of dollars, you know. All you got to do is stop cutting down the public force and you'll have a significant major immediate impact on both the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis. That was the point I was trying to make. And it doesn't cost us a nickel. And that's why the government that's why the Forest Service doesn't like it, because they want to get and spend money. That's what they got. Thirty five thousand employees in a budget of something like seven billion dollars. And you better believe that that is first and foremost on their agenda is maintaining their staff and maintaining their budget. Everything else is secondary.
0: Well, the other uh, elephant or gorilla in the room is mass extinction that we're supposedly, uh, there's a sixth major mass extinction going on, you know, which we have records of in the past in the fossil record and everything. And it's it's ongoing now. Uh, people are noticing that, you know, they don't have insects on their windshield anymore. Uh, and, uh, that biodiversity question is, is just totally, you know, not, not, not being spoken about much of anywhere except for people that are considered the eco freaks. And some people who even kind of care are starting to tune out on these things because they don't, uh. They don't feel like they can have any impact or uh make any changes on the system you guys feel like you uh are having success like how, how many people showed out for that meeting yesterday
1: we had we had over 250 people i believe i uh, i didn't get a chance to get a head count but that was an estimate based on the number of chairs and uh, and the room was i'd say 95 95- percent opposed to the forest service plan there were four people who spoke you know of the 250 people that were there actually 50 people who got up and spoke directly to the senator and to the undersecretary and of those of 50 people four i think spoke in favor and all the rest spoke against and the 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 vast majority of people in the room were against but let me let me answer your question this way you know i've been involved in forest protection for 35 years now and the Sad reality is I will never see the results of my work. You know I'm 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 lucky if I get to spend a little time in the forest. I was grateful the last few years to spend a lot of time in the forest until this Buffalo Springs proposal came out, and uh, now I'm back at my computer, back on the phone, back in the car. You know, but my greatest joy is to be in the forest. But the work I do is something I will not see the results of. If I'm successful, and I say I, I mean we, because there are dozens of people who have been actively involved in this and hundreds. And thousands who care about this issue. But the reality is everything we're doing is for people who are not even yet born. And so I think we're making a difference, uh, but I don't do it because I expect to see results. I do it because it brings meaning to my life. It puts me in touch with the greatest people I've ever met. It is something that needs to be done. And I, for whatever reason, have found myself in a position to be able to be helpful in that regard. And I'm hoping that with the help of the people who are listening to our voices now, the, the great community organizations like WFHB, I'm very hopeful that this area of South Central Indiana will be a model for other parts of the country. And in fact, you know, we talked about how we pivoted yesterday because that meeting from the Buffalo Springs proposal to the entire Hoosier National Forest. Well, guess what? We're not just talking about the Hoosier National Forest. What we are talking about is creating. This is, you know, because it's one thing to be against something, but that's no way to live your life or to guide your choices in life is by what you're against. We are motivated by what we're for. What we love is healthy human communities living in concert and in balance with a healthy, natural, wild uh, forest system and the other ecosystems around us. So what we are proposing, and this is what I intend to work for, not just to protect Buffalo Springs and to protect the entire Hoosier National Forest. What we are now focusing on is a multi-state, bioregional network of climate, forest climate, and biodiversity reserves. That would include the entire Hoosier National Forest in Indiana, the entire Shawnee National Forest in Illinois, the entire Wayne National Forest in Ohio, land between the lakes and the daniel boone national forest in kentucky that would be the core four states all those areas of public land would be the basis of say a heartland hardwood climate and biodiversity reserve system that would also be available for public public recreation provide for clean water and all the other benefits these public forests provide but we're looking across the political landscape we're looking at the ecological landscape and what is needed is to protect as much wild land as possible in this hardwood region. And that's what we're gonna dedicate our efforts to is this climate multi-state bioregional system of climate preserves, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio and Kentucky and possibly expanding to other states. But we're gonna start with Indiana and Illinois then Ohio, than Kentucky, but maybe we'll go for it all at once. We'll do it however we can, but we're gonna try and get the attention of our elected officials. I think it's very possible we could get this Indiana and Illinois piece going very quick. They're already calling for it in Illinois. We're calling for it in Indiana. We've got good communications going on with our friends and allies in Ohio and Kentucky. And uh, I just say, stay tuned. But uh, that's, that's our focus is on what we love and our vision for the future. And our vision is a, large areas of wild landscape in this hardwood region.
0: Well, there's humans living
1: in harmony with that
0: land. What's that? uh, There's an older proverb. I think it was maybe even something back to the Greek about wisdom being or virtue being uh, the man who plants the plants, a tree that he knows he will not live long enough to enjoy the shade of.
1: Yes, that's, you're exactly right. In fact, a dear friend of ours who is uh, who's unfortunately uh, living with a fatal cancer right now, uh, he, had, he had encountered that very quote. I don't have the specific quote, but it's very much as you said, and was so taken with it that, you know, I think the measure of a culture is, the, is one in which the old folks plant trees beneath whose shade they will never sit, something like that. And uh, he actually made a a, a beautiful wooden plaque with that statement on it. He was a pastor of the local Mennonite Fellowship. And that plaque is uh, on display. It's outside the Mennonite Fellowship. And we recently had occasion to celebrate his life uh, while he's still living and to reflect on the fact that he is absolutely one of those beautiful elders who has planted so many trees. And that is our job, your job, my job, the people listening To plant those trees and make this world a better place for those who will come after us.
0: Well, also uh, I've discovered uh, in looking back to some of the earliest history, I'm not sure if it was the Sumerians or the Assyrians or the Babylonians, but of that Mesopotamian, uh, Mesopotamian region, you know, the invention of writing and law codes, very sophisticated stuff was established. There were actually environmental regulations There were edicts (laughs) not to cut down all the trees. Yeah, You had to control a certain amount of deforestation. And in the epic of Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh, you know, the big uh, demigod hero, uh, cuts down the cedars of Babylon and he has to destroy the guardian of the cedars of Lebanon. And, you know, most of this has been raised at this point. And there's this tension in it about that's the sacred place and it's already sacred. It's already the realm of the gods and he wants to chop it down to build a temple, <laughs> you know, with his buddy yeah. Man in Kidu. So the ethic is there from the beginnings of human civilization of, you know, okay, we're building cities and we're having an impact. We can't do too much. We'll create these floods and natural disasters. I mean, you know, it's a long learning curve that we're going through and there's some other memes that are uh, rolling around on the, the internet that are actually more than memes they're stories of people who have become those planters i've seen a lot of them are in africa and there's an animated film about the man who planted trees i'm not sure how uh true that's based that's in the i think the french alps and these people who were considered kind of the the village kook who were going out and planting trees uh that everybody scoffed at oh you're not gonna have an impact and and within <clears> their lifetime within their lifetime, they have created these forests and these oases that are now providing food to a, a realm that was you know dependent on other places they're becoming self-sufficient and this is just you know people saving their scraps and taking it out there and piling it around the the start and protecting it and taking their water jug out there their skin and watering it so I mean even one person within their lifetime can have a a major impact that changes a region.
1: You're absolutely right. And here's another one that's in line with what you were just talking about. And that's that the origin of the word druid comes from do-ear, an Irish Gaelic word for oak tree, which was often considered a symbol of knowledge also meaning wisdom. So the Druids were worshipers of oak trees because those were the oldest and wisest members of their community, the oldest, because they did not consider themselves separate from the landscape in which they lived and their elders were the oak trees. And we could learn something from those Druids here in Southern Indiana, because the oldest trees in our forest tend to be those massive old white oaks if we would ever let them live that long. And uh, you know, it's it's pretty sad that everything that the Forest Service is proposing to do is purely speculative and highly experimental. They have no clue of what the results of these experiments are going to be in a time of planetary warming and extreme weather events. The best we, what we should be doing instead, is protecting as much of the forest to allow it to evolve in response to these changing circumstances, rather than us tr- presuming to know what is going to be in the long-term best interest of the forest on which we all depend.
0: And uh, there was a lot, there was international focus uh, when Bolsonaro was regressing everything in Brazil, uh, destroying the Amazon and killing the Indians and basically manifest destiny, homestead, throwing things open for people to take native land. And there was a, you know, UN perspective, EU perspective that, you know, that's also our forest over here you know besides the ocean the other lung of the planet so might there possibly be a, a way to tie into you know indigenous rights on the international sphere and that the forests in this region or the bioregional whole that you're talking about that's beyond state borders could be designated something internationally of course this is another major political Tension about U.S. sovereignty and you know the new world order and whether you know the globalists are going to take us over, kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, but the
1: reality is, uh, our, our official yeah. policy with respect to other countries is that they should leave their forests standing, and yet the official policy of the Forest Service is to cut them down. There's certainly a disconnect there.
0: But uh, that that might be another way to coalition and possibly get some kind of funding from international bodies uh but yeah it, it's a like i've i've interviewed uh thomas lindsay uh rights of nature attorney who has gotten things written oh, in- I, I know tom lindsay he's a friend of mine yeah i know him yeah writing the rights of nature apparently hundreds of laws around the us and things into the ecuador constitution that give rights to rivers and that actually uh Beat back uh, some, you know, mining and deforestation operations. I mean, in a lot of ways, people in third world situations are ahead of the game. As far as, just like the Forest Service is thinking, oh, we're the natural disaster now. We're God now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I
1: think you put your finger right on it. That you. No, I, I have not heard it said any more clearly and more articulately than what you just said. That's exactly what we're dealing
0: with. Yeah. And and uh, so so we have this you know idea that we're the first world and they're the third world, but they're the ones with a lot more cutting edge solutions that are just too imaginative and creative for us to implement. That'd be such a divergence from the way we think about everything.
1: Well, it's important for us to remember that we are not separate from the Earth. We are dependent on the Earth. We are. You know, I like to think of myself as the Earth, earth up and about and the working to defend itself. I am the forest defending itself. You know, I'm not separate from the forest working to defend. In fact, I, you know, when I moved down here. I considered myself sort of an empty vessel and the forest filled me right up. And I'm very, very grateful for everything I have learned and continue to learn from the forest itself. Humility is the most important attribute of a, of a of a competent and wise forest manager. And unfortunately it is the one attribute most lacking in the people currently employed by the forest service, humility. There's two different kinds of science in my the reading of it. There's science that's designed to increase human understanding. and There's science that's designed to increase outputs. And uh, the forest service, the science that they use is highly selective. It's often self-funded and it's almost entirely self-serving. The only science that they tend to use or cite is the science that demonstrates the benefits to those species that uh, benefit from a degraded and cut over landscape. They've identified the few species that benefit from burning and logging, and they're managing the forest to provide for those species. And what we need to do is go into the forest with humility, and awe and wonder and learn from the forest before we go to try and change it to meet our very very limited human understanding of what the forest is capable of providing
0: and yeah it's, it's about reforming our, our cultural paradigm we have this reductionist view which has its certain use which allows certain things to be focused on in science but we've lost the holistic sense of the whole system and uh i I, i'm reminded that the state seal of indiana is a guy cutting down trees stumps and the buffalo is jumping over a log headed headed west getting out of town you're absolutely right and that's he's cutting down
1: the last tree and the last buffalo is heading west it unfortunately it's very sadly appropriate i I think we need a new state. State seal, and in fact, that reminds me of something, and that is, I, I really do think that what we are trying to do here with Buffalo Springs and with Protector Woods is reverse the trajectory in that our current state seal. We are trying to restore the forest. If you restore the forest, you restore the springs. If you restore the springs, you bring back the buffalo.
0: and uh, tying it back again to the earliest myths, I'm convinced that the story of Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox, you know, our wonderful cultural fable about the the lumberjack giant, uh, that that actually goes back to the Epic of Gilgamesh with Babe the Blue Ox, somewhat representing his beast man friend who was kind of a Sasquatch or maybe a, a genetic memory of encounters with Neanderthals. But they defeat the bull of heaven, which also kind of corresponds with the blue ox. And there's some real deep ennui in those myths where Gilgamesh is the big strong conqueror and runs the show. But through a process of facing his mortality, the death of his friend, and kind of his own hubris, he comes to a bit of a humility. And so he becomes... A better leader in the beginning he's a tyrant by the end of it he's come back from his journeys around the world and you know is 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 in greater balance and uh that's the balance I think. this yes, balance is what we need yep
1: I, we need I could i completely agree with you that is we we are living in a world out of harmony and are all of us in our different ways, or working can try to store that sense of connectivity, that sense of community, and that sense of belonging. We all want to belong. We want to belong with each other, to each other, and to this loving, living planet. And that is, I think, what ties all these different cultural, social, and ecological movements together, is that need to recreate the sense of community and being a part of the places where we live, rather than being somehow separate from this planet that is our home.
0: And so uh, the, the next steps, uh, what would you say are the, uh, the next steps in this? You talked about the bioregional uh, kind of coalition. Um, well,
1: I think the thing that what we're doing is we're trying to do this. Uh, we're trying to get a ball rolling and that that ball that starts rolling, once it starts rolling and gathers enough momentum, that's where it will go. But it starts here in Buffalo Springs. You want to protect the water? To protect the water, we protect the forest. To protect the forest in Buffalo Springs, we then go beyond the area immediately surrounding us here in Orange County to protect the entire Hoosier National Forest through this new forest planning process. And then we work with our elected officials through either the legislative process or possibly the administrative process, such as a National Monument designation. I believe that if we were to get senators, uh Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth from Illinois, Senators Mike Braun and Todd Young from Indiana, Durbin and Duckworth Democrats, Young and Braun Republicans, get uh, Governor Pritzker from Illinois, Governor Holcomb, or perhaps a future Governor Braun from Indiana together and have the four of them present to President Biden a proposal for a combined Hoosier Shawnee National Climate Forest Monument, In southern Indiana and Illinois, we could have these two forests completely protected before uh, uh, President Biden uh, finishes his first term, and certainly by the time he finishes his second term, if he were to have one. And, uh, you know, things can happen when people get together and, uh, you know, we serve a higher purpose here. To the extent that we think we know what we're doing or should know what we're doing or have to have all the answers, we are almost certain to fail. To the extent that we bring our best intentions and the best we have to offer in terms of our heart, mind, bodies to an effort and try to align ourselves with that which wants to happen, that thing is more likely to happen. And what wants to happen now is that this is a planet that's trying to heal itself to the extent that we can be agents of that healing major things are possible. The one thing that we have to be careful of is is setting our goals too low. What we want to do is bring the best vision we have in our hearts of what this world can be and work with every step we take and every breath we take to make that vision a reality. So we're going to start here with Buffalo Springs, hopefully the Hoosier National Forest. Maybe in a few years the entire public forest ownership in this hardwood region will be in a vast protected multi-state bioregional climate preserve and that's what
0: i'm working for yeah and we have to set ourselves for the long haul uh we can't expect immediate gratification uh with the uh, results although you know we got to keep pressing for that of course um is uh protect our woods is that who you would uh, direct people to, to to look up yes protect our well protect Woods doesn't even have a
1: website so there's a website which is savehoosiernationalforest.com that's where we've been doing most of our sharing of information but we also encourage people to donate to Indiana Forest Alliance if they want to donate to Protector Woods they can donate to Indiana Forest Alliance and just indicate you have to indicate that the donation is for Protector Woods they are handling and managing our money for us But donations to Indiana Forest Lines are also helpful because they are funding the litigation. Donations to protect our woods will keep the yard signs going up and the billboards and keep us uh, moving towards protecting this area and then hopefully protecting the entire Hoosier and developing the bioregional climate and biodiversity preserve in the hardwood region. So savehoosiernationalforest.com is a great place to go. If you're on Facebook, there's a Save Hoosier National Forest Facebook page if you're on Facebook, there is a Protect Our Woods Facebook page. And those are good places to stay informed in, on what we're doing here in southern Indiana.
0: Great. Um, keep up that good work. Uh, you're definitely considered a, a hero in the region by probably thousands of people because of your long time being at this stuff and going around raising the awareness and rousing people out of their uh, torpor, getting them engaged.
1: Zero, thank you so much for the time we got to spend
0: together. I appreciate having the chance
1: to spend the time talking with you.